on the show today. The FBI reveals it accessed private servers to patch a recent vulnerability. Ireland's data privacy organization opens an investigation into Facebook's recent leak. Regulators say that insurance companies cannot block pricing data from web searches. Our Scam of the Day discusses a common shopping trick designed to steal your money. And today's tip gives you six tactics fraudsters use to steal your money. All of that and more is coming up on the April 19th, 2021 edition of Cybersecurity Made Personal. Helping you stay safe in a connected world. This is Cybersecurity Made Personal. Hello and welcome to the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast, the safest podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Jim Herman. I have five stories on the news beat for you today. We begin with news out of Washington, where unsealed court documents revealed that the FBI recently accessed Microsoft Exchange servers belonging to private companies in order to patch a security flaw. A hacking group suspected to be affiliated with the Chinese infiltrated tens of thousands of Exchange servers. In response, the FBI asked courts for permission to access affected servers and eliminate the web shell used for the attack. The FBI did not patch the underlying vulnerability, but it did delete the web shell the hacking group had set up on those systems. While closing security holes is always a good thing, this action does raise some serious concerns. A court warrant is typically used to obtain evidence for a criminal investigation, not to repair issues in private computers. Searching for compromised systems and reporting them is one thing, but actually accessing those systems and closing the flaw without the knowledge or approval of the owner is entirely another. Moving to the other side of the Atlantic, Ireland has opened an investigation into the data breach that revealed the data of over 500 million Facebook users. The breach occurred in 2019, and it was patched by Facebook at that time. But the data was only recently made available for free on the dark web. The Irish Data Privacy Commission, or DPC, is reviewing the information and says it believes Facebook may be in violation of at least one or more provisions of the EU GDPR or the Irish Data Protection Act. A spokesperson for Facebook said the company will cooperate fully with the investigation. In medical news, U.S. regulators have clarified regulations on health insurance providers by stating that their pricing data cannot be hidden from web searches. New regulations that took effect at the beginning of the year required that hospitals make their pricing data for services available online. Furthermore, health insurers will be required to make their pricing data available next year. However, many hospitals were found to be masking their pricing data 
by instructing search engines to not index data on the page, making that page invisible to searches. Now, the new clarifications indicate that health insurers may not instruct search engines to stop indexing their pricing page. While the rule that applies to hospitals was not covered by this update, it seems like it will be only a matter of time before hospitals are expected to unmask this data as well. In social media news, cybercriminals capitalized on the growing popularity of Clubhouse to convince people to download and install a fake Clubhouse for PC application. Ads running on Facebook impersonated Clubhouse pages and announced the release of Clubhouse for PC. Clubhouse is a social audio chat app that is currently only available on iOS or over the web. By clicking on the ad, users would be taken to a malicious download page, and once installed, the application would attempt to contact a command and control server for instructions on what to do next. While Facebook did take down the malicious ads, it is unclear how many people downloaded the malicious application before the ad was taken down. And finally, the Twitter account for the U.S. Military Strategic Command, or STRATCOM, made news after it posted a short message of gibberish. In 10 minutes, the tweet drew over 12,000 likes and 9,000 retweets, most of which were making snarky comments about the gibberish. The account then followed up with a comment telling people to disregard the nonsensical tweet. The gibberish later disappeared from the account altogether. Had the account been hacked? Well, it kind of depends on your definition of the term. A release the next day indicated that the person who manages the Twitter account was working from home and briefly stepped away from his computer when his toddler decided to sit down and sent the tweet accidentally. However, this serves as a good reminder that regardless of whether you're working from the office, from home, or from anywhere else, you should always lock your computer when you step away. And now we move on to the scam of the day. Today I want to highlight a type of scam that is common on Amazon and other shopping sites. I actually fell victim to this type of scam a little over two years ago. Sometime in late November or early December, I noticed that I was low on the particular type of pencil that I like to use. I went to Amazon, searched for more, and found them available through a third-party seller. The shipping estimate was about a month, kind of on the slow side, but I wasn't in a rush, and the price was lower than anyone else on Amazon. As Christmas approached, I placed several more Amazon orders for Christmas gifts. After Christmas, I went to get a pencil out and noticed it was the very last one. Forgetting about my earlier order, I placed another order on Amazon and that one arrived. But I ended up needing to return one of the gifts. As I scrolled back through my past orders to find it, I noticed the order before that one was my original order for pencils. The delivery date had now passed, and I questioned whether that was the order I had received or a totally different one. 
After researching, I found that I had two pencil orders, and I'd never received the first one. I tried to contact the seller to let them know I hadn't received my purchase, but the seller's account had been deactivated by Amazon already. Fortunately, I reached out to Amazon and received a full refund. This scam is a common one on sites that allow third-party sellers. Someone sets up a store with low-cost items that have a very slow shipping speed. Many times, the shipping will say it's coming from overseas as a way to explain the slow delivery time. The hope is that the slow delivery time, combined with the low cost of the item, will cause you to do exactly what I did, completely forget about the order, allowing the thieves to escape with your money. Unfortunately for that seller, enough people caught it even before I did. But unfortunately, it's too easy for a scammer to just use a different email address and sign up again. As a result, these sites are constantly playing whack-a-mole with these sellers. The moment they knock one down, a new one pops up. So you need to take action to be on guard for these scams. Avoid sellers who have low ratings or slow shipping times unless it's absolutely unavoidable. And if you must purchase from one, make sure you keep track of the purchase. That way, you can always make sure you get what you pay for. If you find a scam you think we'd like to talk about on the show, you can send it to us at scam at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com. And now it's time for the Cybersecurity Pop Quiz. Each episode, we'll ask you a question in the field of online security or privacy, and it's your job to figure out the right answer. Today's question is a true or false question. The question is, the only security threats to your devices can come over the internet. True or false? The correct answer will be revealed in next week's episode. But if you want to know it right away, you can go to cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash popquiz to answer the question and find out if you're right. Plus, if you submit your guess on the website, regardless of whether you're right or wrong, you'll be entered to win a $25 Amazon gift card when we conclude Season 3 in August. But your guess to this question must be submitted before the next episode airs next Monday, April 26th. For official rules, visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash quiz rules. Last week's question was, which of these are the best way to protect your private files? A. Use multi-factor authentication. B. Use a strong, unique password for your computer and online storage accounts. C. Only share your password with people you work closely with. D. Have the ability to remotely wipe any device you use. And E. Access files online whenever you need them, including on open Wi-Fi networks. The correct answers are A, B, and D. Multi-factor authentication, 
a strong, unique password for your devices and accounts, and the ability to remotely wipe your devices are all good ways to protect your private files. But you should never share your passwords with anyone, regardless of how closely you work with them. If a situation arises where you must share files with others, you should each set up your own accounts to access them, unless that is absolutely not possible. With individual accounts, the actions each person takes will be tracked. With a shared account, you'll know when actions were taken, but you won't be able to identify who took a particular action. And you shouldn't access private files over open Wi-Fi networks. There is always the possibility those files could be intercepted. If you must use an open network, use a VPN in order to provide some extra protection. Wouldn't it be great if every scam you encountered started out with the message, this is a scam? Unfortunately, it's never going to be quite that obvious. But there are some common things scammers do that can help you identify when you might be facing a scam call or email. We'll cover six common tricks that scammers use when we come back from this short break. Hi, it's Jim. If you're enjoying the show, we'd love it if you could follow us in your favorite podcast player. That will ensure you never miss an episode. And while you're there, we'd also appreciate it if you could rate the show and give us a review. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are. And finally, the best review that someone can give us is to tell their friends about the show. Invite them to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or send them to our website, cybersecuritymadepersonal.com, where they can find links to the show in all the major podcast players. Thanks for your support, and now, back to the show. Have you ever been called by a phone scammer? If you have a phone, it's almost certain that you have. According to First Orion, roughly 40% of all phone calls made in 2019 were scams. The same study revealed that victims of phone scams lost approximately $1,000 on average. Some scams are so outrageous that it's hard to believe anyone would fall for them. But others can be more subtle. There are some factors you can use to detect a scam, whether it uses phone, email, social media message, or any other form of communication. Train yourself to slow down and think about these elements, and you'll be able to recognize many of these scams. So with that in mind, here are six of the tricks that the fraudsters use to trick you into handing over your money. First, scammers will often use urgency to get to your money. This might come as an opportunity that's only available for a short time or as a warning that you'll be taken to court or even put in jail right away if you don't resolve this matter. Recently, I even saw a new ransomware strain that employed urgency 
by stating the cost to unlock your files would increase every 24 hours. The criminals know that the longer you take to think about their scam, the more likely you are to find the holes in their story. That's why they don't want you to wait to act on it tomorrow. They want immediate action. The sooner they get you to act, the sooner they'll be able to move on to their next target. For example, if you get a scam call pretending to be the IRS, they'll likely claim that you'll face more interest and penalties, or possibly even jail time, if you don't take care of the tax debt right away. But the IRS doesn't work like that. In fact, the IRS says they will never ask for your credit or debit card number over the phone. Plus, the IRS cannot put you in jail just because you owe them taxes. The only reason you might face jail time is if they can prove you intentionally falsified your return or you refuse to file one. But in those cases, the IRS will have to prove your intentions in court before you'll face time behind bars. So when someone calls and tries to create urgency, it's a very good sign that you need to step back and examine the claims more closely. Respond to the scammer's urgency with slow, calculated thought, and you'll be less likely to fall for their story. Second, some scammers will use pop-ups or malicious advertisements to draw your attention to their scam. Several years ago, one of my regular customers called me to come look at her computer after an advertisement came up saying there was a critical issue exposing her private data. The ad provided a number and said she needed to call it right away to resolve it. Of course, this was a scam. She did call the number, but she stopped short of letting them access her computer to find the problem. Instead, she called me. I was available at that moment, so I remoted into her computer and looked at the message she got. Of course, it was just another internet browser window that had opened under her other windows, but it was cleverly designed to look like it was a Windows error message. Advertisements on websites could also be malicious. Many sites that offered free software for download would support themselves with advertising. But the problem was that the download button for the actual file you wanted would often be surrounded by a number of advertisements that consisted of fake download buttons. Those fake buttons would take you to software that was either malicious on its own or that would perform a legitimate service but demand you pay an exorbitant price to use it. Either way, that software was a scam. A third method for scamming people might work all on its own, or it might be combined with a fake advertisement. Fake websites spring up all the time with a variety of purposes. Some may try to get you to donate to a particular cause, especially one that's popular in the moment. For example, someone could try to capitalize on a popular political or social movement in order to supposedly solicit donations for an organization. Fake social media profiles can also be used for scams. In these cases, the person will usually play the long game, befriending you and maybe even supposedly falling in love with you, 
only to later end up in a situation where they need financial help. Accounts could also impersonate a famous person, gain a following, and then try to execute a scam. But scammers might also use information that's not fake, which brings us to point number four. Your own personal information could be used to lend legitimacy to the scam. Let's be honest. Given the large number of data breaches that have occurred over the last decade, there's probably plenty of information about you available on the black market. That information could be picked up and used as part of a scam. Imagine that you get an email pretending to be Facebook, but it includes information that isn't available on your public profile. Perhaps the email could even contain information you didn't make available to anyone on the site, even your friends. If you see that information and know that it's not something someone else can find on the site, you're probably going to be much more likely to believe that information is legitimate. That information could be your birth date, the last four of your social security number, the last four of your credit card number, or even your account password to lend legitimacy to the claims of the bad actor. But whatever it is, don't take it at face value. Always assume that it could also be compromised data. A fifth sign that you may be dealing with a scam is initial courtesy followed by rudeness later on. At the beginning, the scammers will want you to believe they are representing a legitimate company so they'll be polite and courteous as they initiate contact with you. They'll apologize for taking up your time, they'll take the time to thoroughly explain why they're contacting you, and they'll even welcome your skepticism and say they understand why you're concerned in many cases. But as they get further into the scam, they'll ramp up the pressure, and they may respond in an unpredictable way if they don't get what they want, when they want it. If they're trying to close the deal and you're hesitant to provide what they want, they'll resort to high-pressure tactics, some of which may go well beyond what is permitted by law. And you can find videos of scammers cussing at or even threatening people once they realize they've been played and aren't going to get any money from that call. Once they think they have you eating out of their hand, the tactics change from charm to pressure. And finally, a sixth sign of a scam is a desire for secrecy. The criminals know that if you start talking about the scam to others, they don't just have to fool you, but they also have to have a story good enough to fool your friends as well. That's why many of the scammers will make statements telling you to keep this to yourself, or not say anything until the deal is done. If someone wants to conduct a financial transaction with you, but doesn't want you to tell anyone about it, that is a sign that it's probably a scam. So if you want to recognize scams, start by thinking about these six factors. Teach yourself to think when you receive a message portraying extreme urgency. Be on guard for pop-ups or malicious advertising that could be trying to pull you into a scam. Don't get tricked when the scammer tries to use your personal information. 
It could have been compromised in a previous breach or scraped from your public social media pages. Be careful if you encounter resistance when you want to slow down the process. Scammers will want to close the deal immediately and will change their attitude quickly if you don't give them what they want. And finally, be careful when someone wants you to keep their communication a secret. Legitimate actors aren't going to mind if you talk about your conversation with others. So that's it for today. Be on guard for scams, and be sure to come back here next Monday, where our tip of the week will discuss mistakes that you're making that could put your phone at risk. So until next time, stay safe. Thanks again for joining us for the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast. Check out the show notes page linked to the description for links to the articles mentioned, more information about today's tip, and a transcription of this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would consider visiting our welcome page at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash welcome. There, you can find more information about the show and links to some of our most popular episodes. Cybersecurity Made Personal is provided for educational purposes only. Don't take any action on your computer unless you fully understand what you are doing and the possible consequences. Visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash disclaimer for more information. Cybersecurity Made Personal is a production of Personal Cybersecurity, LLC. I'm Jim Herman. Thanks for listening and stay safe.